Homestyle Green, episode 83, Leaky Buildings 2.0. G'day and welcome back to another episode of Homestyle Green. I'm the host of the show, Matthew Cutler-Welsh, and this is the podcast all about inspiring people to make a better place to live. Thanks very much for tuning in. If you are listening to this show, then you're probably a designer or an architect or a builder who's interested in providing homes that are better for people and better for the planet. Or you may be someone who's interested in making a better home for yourself and doing a bit of research into some better ways of doing things. This week, it's just me, and I want to talk about Leaky Buildings 2.0. Now, that's not a term, it's not my term. I have to uh, give credit to that terminology to Thomas Van Ramsdonk, who I actually interviewed briefly in back in episode 26 when I uh, caught up with Thomas at a show. I think it was a, sh- a um, home show down in Christchurch, but uh, I have a lot of respect for Thomas. I bumped into him a few times, and he among other things, has uh, some links to ProClimber. He um, is in charge of ProClimber in this part of the world who do some very good building products. Uh, but more importantly, Thomas has done a lot of research in a topic that I have become more and more interested in, which is all about vapour and moisture control inside houses. Now, before we get into that, uh, somebody else who has also got an interest in a very good building product is the very good folk over at Nudora. And I'm very happy to have Nudora sponsor this show. They help bring you this show free each week. So it uh, makes life a little bit easier and possible for me to bring this show to you. So go and check out Nudora. You can find them here in New Zealand at energyefficientbuilding.co.nz or you can check out nudora.com if you want to find out all the resources that they've got on their global site as well. Now, let's jump straight in. Leaky Building 2.0, what the, what is that? You know, we, we're pretty familiar with leaky buildings and the problems associated with moisture coming into our our houses and or buildings in fact and damaging the claddings damaging the structure the framing the interior linings and the and the the types of impacts that we see on those buildings now nobody wants a building that is deteriorating uh, structurally we don't want mold appearing on the inside and we don't want our cladding starting to fall apart and not protect the structure of the building because that looks ugly. It is impacting the, the structure, so we don't know if things are starting to get rotten, then you know, how long will they last? And that, that be, prevents a, a real physical hazard. But moisture uh, and a high moisture content in, a, in the structure and the, the fabric of the building ultimately will cause mould. And you don't need much moisture at all to facilitate the growth of mould. And this is something that we should all be a lot more concerned about than we are. Some would say, and I've heard it said, that um, mould is probably a bigger issue than some of the other things like even asbestos and and to some degree uh, things like lead and, and the other materials that we've used 
in our buildings. And the reason for that is because mould spores tend to, to become airborne and they pose a much greater risk to our health than um, very hazardous substances like asbestos. But if those, if those other hazardous substances are sort of locked up within the structure, then they don't cause us much harm unless we um, disturb them and, and, and allow them to move about. Whereas mould, it causes all sorts of problems. And we, we've talked about that in other episodes, and there are lots and lots of evidence about the impact of mould and the, uh, the prevalence of respiratory illness associated with our homes. So that's one of the, the the reasons why I'm so interested. Certainly I'm interested from an engineering point of view in the longevity of our buildings and um, the structural integrity of our buildings and, and, and the fact that we, we don't want the aesthetic um, degradation and the structural degradation, but it's that health impact and the fact that the damp, mouldy houses are just a really, really bad scene. And uh, aside from looking after us, which is the the whole point of a, a home and a good building, they're actually doing us harm. So this is a really big issue. And the reason why it's a big issue is because we have only addressed half of it in looking at where moisture is coming into the building. Now, having said that, um, I do want to talk a little bit about moisture from the outside because it's still a significant issue. So what are the sources of moisture? Well, let's look at the ground and a good number of our existing houses are built on piles and on suspended timber floors. Now, if you've got a concrete floor, this isn't so much of a problem, um, but uh, there's a large number of our houses. And, and I also still believe, by the way, that a piled house is actually a good option, particularly if you're in an area that's got some some, some seismic issues, which is a good chunk of New Zealand. Um, don't disregard piles in a timber, timber floor because you can actually insulate it very well. That aside... What do you do or why should you be concerned about the ground? Well, there I'll put some links in the show notes, but the the, the numbers here are quite staggering. You can expect up to 0.4 litres per metre squared per day coming out of the ground. So what does that mean? Well, for a typical 150 square metre house, that is equivalent to 60 litres of water every single day. 60 litres. Let's put that into into perspective. One of the places I often get condensation in our house right now is on the... I've got a, a single glazed sliding door, aluminium framed, it's pretty hideous, in our master bedroom. Even now in September, springtime, it's starting to warm up, but that is consistently wet in the morning. Lots of condensation on that window. Uh, and as a result, our curtains are mouldy. Not a good look. And I do want to get this addressed. Now, the um, the obvious conclusion that we jump to from that is, well, that's because there are two people in there uh, breathing. And uh, um, when you breathe and even just walking around, you, you there's a certain level of, of perspiration just from just from being a human being, those two uh, sources of moisture, people, people's breathing and people perspiring, account for around about 
0.05 liters per hour. Not very much at all. Even when you're active, so when you're up and about and breathing, the moisture from your breath is around about 0.2 liters per hour. So summed up over the 24-hour period, that's that's not very much. You know, you got a whole house. You may be talking a, a, a liter or two. Um, you've got a family of people in there for, for a good chunk of the day. So, yeah, put a couple of liters down for that. Um, beyond that, another big source might be cooking. That's maybe about three liters per day, so steam from pots and pans and, and uncovered uh, cooking. Um, clothes, if you do dry clothes inside, that's about five liters per load. Uh, very very unadvisable to do that, by the way. But even a clothes washing machine will, uh, particularly if it's on a, on a warm cycle, there's a bit of moisture in the air just as a result of, of doing that. Uh, might produce one or two liters per load. All these numbers, by the way, I'll put a link. There's a great resource on the Smarter Homes website, and um, that's uh, a brand's website, and there are some figures there for various activities for um, people and appliances inside a house during the day. And you can see the relative significance of all these activities in producing moisture inside the ho- inside the home but all of those yeah sort of a one one to two maybe up to five liters per load so come back to that ground moisture 60 liters per day for a typical 150 square meter house now that's a, that's a maximum figure but even if you're in a, in a dry area you might have a proportion of that say even even half you still that's a significant amount imagine filling up 32 litre bottles, uh, milk bottles of water, and just pouring them inside your house. You'd never dream of doing that. But that is exactly what's happening, or the equivalent of that is is what's happening in a lot of our houses. And it's not that obvious. So coming back to our master bedroom in my in my home, there is a good chance that a large amount of that condensation that's appearing on our single glazing is not actually from my breathing at night time. Some of it will be that, but some of it will just be coming up from the ground underneath the house. And I know this because uh, for some unknown reason, when I got my house insulated, I I allowed myself to be talked out of getting a ground vapor barrier put down on the ground. And I've regretted it pretty much every day since because I know that that is having a significant impact on the moisture that's making it into our house. So there's no shortage of sources of moisture within the home. Now, why is this important? Well, coming back to the, the main issue here, we're talking about leaky buildings and the importance of understanding that there's already there are all these sources of moisture inside the home is so important because we often think about leaky buildings and moisture problems being a problem from outside of the house and water coming in 
particularly in a, in a humid, damp environment, and a lot of New Zealand climate-wise is quite humid and quite damp. So we would expect there to be moisture coming into the house, but we also need to realise that even if we deal to that effectively so we get a good rain shield on the outside of our house, then we also need to be conscious of all this moisture, usually in the form of vapour, so it's a little less obvious until it condenses on a cold surface, but nonetheless, it's very significant volume of moisture that's in the air generated from either within or underneath the house. So what do we do about that? Well, let's come back to the fundamentals that I've talked about before. Insulate, orientate, ventilate, and ideally have a little bit of thermal mass. We can call that aggregate. They're my sort of four pillars, if you like, of good design. Orientate, insulate, ventilate, and have some aggregate in there as well for good measure. There is a great article where I'll put it and I'll put a show uh, sorry, I'll put a link to this in the show notes. And I have just started reading some material from Joseph Stey oh, I knew I was going to get his name wrong. Apologies. Joseph Stey Burek. I'll have to get that pronunciation a bit better and uh, put it at the end. Apologies, I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, he is a guru, and he calls himself, well, his, his Wikipedia page, he's called a forensic engineer, and building failures, particularly moisture-related building problems, are his forte. And he's written a fantastic article on the perfect wall. Now, the perfect wall, as Joe describes it, starts from the outside with a rain shield, uh, or a rain control barrier, then it has an air control barrier followed by a vapour con control and finally an insulation or a thermal control layer. And he goes on to say that all of these control layers ideally would be outside of the structural element of that wall. So if we put that in the context of a, a standard wall, that would mean that our insulation and our vapour barrier, our building wrap, cavity, and then our cladding would all be outside of our framing. And that is definitely not the, the standard way of doing things around here. We stuff the insulation, so the thermal control layer, inside the framing, and that is a big part of some of the problems or the reason for a lot of the moisture problems that we're starting to face now and we're probably going to face more of them into the future. And here's why. See, if we assume for a moment that we've controlled rain coming in from the outside and we've controlled the airflow to a degree, bearing in mind that true absolute air tightness is a bit of a myth because there's always going to be some airflow unless you've got a completely hermetically sealed box which you're probably not going to have there will always be some airflow and with airflow you get vapor flow now if you have wherever you have a layer of insulation you're going to have a temperature gradient so on one side of the insulation it's going to be warm and on the other side it's going to be cold relatively 
quite often in New Zealand and in similar temperate climates, we end up with a um, almost disastrous situation, almost the perfect storm, if you like, of a wall where somewhere in between those two surfaces, in the, between the inside and the outside, we hit the dew point. And the reason for that is uh, there are a few reasons. One is because we have quite high levels of, of humidity, relative humidity. And the other is because the, the, the range of temperature that we're typically talking about, so if we say the eight, about 18 to 20 degrees on the inside and on the outside could be as low as 5 or it could even be as high as 12 or 15. But if you, have, if you take 18 degree... Uh, air at about 80% relative humidity, you don't have to drop it very far until you reach dew point. And at dew point, all that vapor that is being held in the air condenses. And if that dew point happens to be somewhere in that insulation layer, uh, and our insulation layer is in between, stuffed in the inside the framing, it's not hard to see how we can actually make our framing wet simply by virtue of putting insulation inside that framing. So what we end up with is in our evolution of housing going from a very simple, uninsulated, very well-ventilated wall, and that's the case for the vast majority of houses built in New Zealand prior to 1978 when insulation was required, you've got an actually quite effective wall because it's doing a couple of its jobs really, really well. That is, it's a structurally sound wall and it's keeping the rain out and it's keeping dry because it's ventilated and there's very little temperature gradient across that wall. It's bloody cold. So moving along to uh, the mid-80s, we started insulating the walls that is in part where we started to get some problems because we introduced this thermal gradient in the wall and it just so happened that that thermal gradient produced the sort of sweet spot for dropping out that um, moist air down to a, a lower temperature, still maintaining all that, that relative humidity, drops down, due, um, it kind of condenses out, and forms moisture, and our walls get wet from the inside. So where does that leave us now? Well, the good news is there are solutions to uh, avoid this situation, albeit relatively complex, and you do need to have a good understanding of not only airflow and insulation, but also vapour flow. And vapour flow can be quite complicated, but... If there was one golden rule to all this, it would be putting those control layers in places where they're not going to affect the framing. And ideally, we would keep our frames warm. That is to say, put the control layers externally to the framing. Now, the immediate objection to that is, well, that's going to make my walls thicker and probably more expensive. Well, that might be the case, but it's probably going to be that or not having an effective wall because 
The reality is that the way our traditional walls are built with insulation inside the framing, they're probably going to get wet at some stage during their so-called 50-year lifespan. So where does that all leave us? And, and uh, wrapping up in a, uh, I'd love to make it a simple silver bullet. The reality is there isn't one. A couple of things that might be a good starting point. Check out uh, Aridon. We've talked about Aridon on the show before, and I actually mentioned just a couple of weeks ago because they've had some some great success recently. But the basis of Aridon is that it's an external insulation system. And that is just what Joe, the doctor, the guru, ordered in his perfect wall. He said, put the insulation on the outside of the frame. And if you compare his diagrams to the technical specifications of Aridon, they actually look very, very similar. Um, Another solution would be something similar to um, Nadura or an insulated panel that sits on the outside of a wall structure. Nudora has that just by virtue of being an insulated concrete form. The insulation is happens in that case to be both on the inside and the outside, but it's keeping the structure inside the outer thermal uh, envelope. The other thing to consider is the design, and I've got two bits of advice here. One is if you're a consumer, if you're a a client of a designer or a builder, ask your designer where the dew point will be in the wall system that they're designing or how the vapour is going to be dealt with, how the vapour flow is going to be dealt with. If they say that, oh, that's not a problem, we don't need to worry about that, or it's code compliant, or if they have no idea what you're talking about, I would find another designer. Or suggest that that designer gets some help because it's probably no fault of the designer because this stuff doesn't necessarily get taught at the moment and it's not that well known and also it's not really that well dealt with in the building code unfortunately so the building code tends to rely just on uh, ventilation to deal with moisture which we we know from uh, talking about this on the show before you add, add a lot of complexity around behavior when, when you're dealing with, with moisture control and opening windows and passive ventilation, all those sorts of things. So if, you, if you're happy with the design of your architect, you'd, you'd like to carry on using them, but they don't really know about how to deal with moisture or check uh, what the dew point is, what, how that wall is going to perform, then there are places you can go to um, get that design tweaked or get some advice on how to improve it and that would be anyone who's using a program called Woofy and I'm not even going to attempt the pronunciation, the German pronunciation of what Woofy stands for but Woofy is a very good program that actually models the airflow and the resulting vapour flow of a wall system Um. You may not need to model it, but a modeling is, a, is certainly a good start. There are some problems with Woofy at the moment in that it does rely on having uh, very good physical parameters ideally uh, measured and verified for uh, different building materials. But that being said, it does provide a very good uh, starting point to at least assess the risk of particular walls in particular climates 
and assess whether those walls might induce some condensation in, in inside the structure. Um, I will put some links in the show notes to this episode of some people around the place who can help out with that if your designer can't. Um, certainly, if you'd like some help with that, then get in touch, matthew at homestylegreen.com. I would be more than happy to help. So wrapping all that up, um, understand that leaky buildings and moisture control within buildings is a, is a complex issue, and it's not just about moisture from the outside. Certainly that's a really important thing to start with, and we've got to have flashings and good claddings and weather-tight systems to stop rain coming in. That's a given. I know it's not always done, but let's assume for the sake of this episode that it's a, it's a relative given. Then we need air control. And this, by the way, is another very good reason why air tightness is something to be uh, achieved and not shunned upon. And we can talk more about that in a further episode. Understand vapor control. You need to understand a little bit about how moisture is being transported in air and where the dew points are and what might happen inside that wall. And ideally, a thermal barrier, a thermal envelope of the home would be placed on the outside of the structure. And that's typically opposite to what we, we tend to do here, um, strapping and lining concrete block on the inside or, or putting our insulation inside our our wall cavity. That's not to say, by the way, that you can't put insulation inside the timber framing. It's just it would be better to have a another layer on the outside so that your, t- your timber is is staying warm. Don't forget how much moisture is coming off the ground. And I, I didn't mention as well that even that's also the case if your ground looks dry, even if you go underneath the house. Now uh, there's an article. Um, that Lois Easton from Beacon wrote about um, ground vapour. Even if it looks dry, there's probably um, a good amount of moisture coming up from the ground. So uh, it still pays to have a a ground vapour barrier. That's just a black polythene sheet laid out on the ground underneath your house. One final comment uh, on, on this whole issue if you are going through a renovation at the moment or a building and you're watching your building going up, drive by the building site and see what's happening on a rainy day. Is your timber lying out in the rain? If it is, have a word with the site foreman. You've paid for kiln-dried treated timber. You don't want it sitting out in the rain. And it's all too common here in New Zealand to see piles of Kiln dry treated timber pretty much getting back to 80 or 90% moisture levels just sitting out there in the pouring rain. So make sure you uh, get that addressed on site as well. Quite a lot in this episode and quite a big issue. And I really hope to uh, get Thomas uh, Van Ramsdonk back on the show and maybe do a whole episode dedicated to Woofy because it's worth talking about. This is a big issue. I'm really passionate about it because it does not only affect the physical integrity of our buildings, but it also affects the health of the people that we put inside those buildings. Love to get your comments on any of that, so please do get in touch, matthew at homestylegreen.com. Love your feedback. Got some great emails and some tweets uh, over the last week. Really helps uh, encourage me to get back on the microphone and, and uh 
get some more good content to put out there. And also a big thanks to Nadura who do sponsor the show, make it all possible. Head on over, check them out, energyefficienthomes.co.nz or nadura.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. Um, there'll be another great interview. I think there'll be another interview next week. Uh, hoping to line up some interviews with some uh, architects. And once again, if you, if you do have some architects that you'd like me to talk to, or if you're an architect that you'd like to be on the show, then drop me a line. I'd love to hear from you. That's it from me. Now go make a better place to live. <laughs> <laughs>